Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, the film podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Around the World. Hello everybody, my name is Brett Stewart. Joining me for an international film this week for Around the World, Nicole Davis, how are you? I'm well, a little toasty. It's a bit toasty today, but uh, otherwise I'm doing okay, and I am ready to discuss this um, movie, film, (laughs) jello, classic, banana pants, flick. There's a lot going on. There's a lot (laughs) going on in this movie. Uh, David Luzader, how are you? I'm doing well. I I don't know if we've ever said this before, but when we say around the world my head immediately starts playing the Daft Punk song. So that's why, well, I'm sitting here waiting for my introduction. It's just in my head. I'm just, you know, bobbing along. And I will play three seconds as legally, (laughs) you know, available to us right now. Well, we watched an international film that was Nicole's pick again around the world is where we have to watch something not made in the United States. Before we talk about this week's movie, however, let's discuss what next week's movie is going to be so you can follow along. It's a biggie. It is You Did This To Us. And uh, there is a twist on this one. I'm not going to say what it is here on the show. You're going to have to go into the poll and look. It is You Did This To Us for our 150th episode. And I will give you a hint that we had watched Twilight for our 100th episode. So you're going to have to go vote. Gosh, Brett, I wonder what it could be. I don't know. What could follow up Twilight? Right. At this rate, we can finish all of them in like six years. Uh, I don't even know how many of them there are, but check out the poll. You did this to us. It'll be on our Facebook and our Twitter. Hey, y'all. As most of you may know, we had to do a little episode juggling. So our 150th episode has already been released. Hooray! And it's the Twilight Saga New Moon. Boo! So this upcoming You Did This To Us We'll have a guest, Mr. Cole Rolane from the Magic Lantern podcast, and we will be discussing the controversial, head-scratching, infuriating, puzzling Darren Aronofsky film, Mother! Come join us for that next time. But this week is Deep Red from 1975. An English pianist, or pianist as they say in the movie, witnesses the murder of a clairvoyant who lives in his building in Rome. Unable to decipher the significance of a detail he saw at the crime scene, he partners with a journalist in an attempt to solve the mystery that may lead to the killer. Gradually, they unravel a web of mysteries, but the murderer always seems one step ahead nicole this was your pick it is a dario argento film from 1975 it is pre-suspiria uh i feel like that's enough context to you now explain why you picked it it's a horror classic it's a giallo classic it's it was a gap in my horror movie foundational films knowledge um so i watched this with uh herr manfreund a few weeks ago and we were like, this is bonkers. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was a little bit surprised to find out this was pre-Suspiria because watching it, I like felt that parts of it, it was like a little bit more cohesive and a little bit more, and I don't want to say Suspiria was not like competently made, but this one I just felt like, oh, okay, you know, he's got, he's got a little more experience under his belt with this one. And then I found out that it came before, which I don't know why that just like confused me. For some reason, I, I thought it was opposite. Oh, this one's a little, it's a little pacier, you know, it's mm-hmm. a little snappier. Suspiria yeah. is much more about the, you know, being isolated and moody and strange goings on. I, yeah, witch I think. Which? <laughs> right. I think you're right. I think there's more of like a plot to this one. And boy, <laughs> what a plot. Um, but yes. I, I will say, to just to start it off here, and, and I enjoyed Suspiria very much. I think I actually like this better than Suspiria, though. Oh, I agree. Yeah, that's not that's not a sin. 
<laughs> I like I like this so much better in Suspiria. I love Suspiria for what it is, but this movie is just so much fun. And it, there are times where it is genuinely frightening. And that surprised me because I am an incredibly desensitized millennial. I have seen some really horrific stuff on television. And <laughs> I don't scare easy. And the, the tension and the darkness in this movie that they've created, largely you know, landing on the cinematographer, is masterful. And it is genuinely really terrifying when things are in the shadows and you know that that killer like our description said is always like one or like 15 steps ahead right the killer has been waiting for this day right. the killer knew this was gonna come and that they like would have to do so they like, oh okay i guess i'll go kill 16 people that i've been putting off this whole time <laughs> right. yeah the timing is impeccable oh i want i want to talk about the timing because there's a moment in the movie where it seems like certain plot points are just kind of spoon-fed to our protagonist, uh, to Marcus, you know, as he needs them. So, for instance, he hits a dead end, and this other clairvoyant, uh, who to me seems even shammier than the other clairvoyant, the one that's still alive. Wait, what? Nicole, you're giving me a weird look. Yeah, yeah. who Which are you clairvoyant? Call- the other clairvoyant. There's only one clairvoyant. No, there's a second guy. At the funeral, no. they say that guy's also clairvoyant. Oh, yes. Oh, but they never talk to him. Yes, they do. He gives them the tip about the book. When they're in the lounge, it's him and the psychiatrist. I guess. I knew he was the paranormal researcher. Yeah, and he gives them the tip on the book and says, oh, once right. uh, many years ago, I was reading very specific book title. And <laughs> you can find it at very specific niche library. And we and, should say him being a clairvoyant is irrelevant to the film. No, <laughs> he, 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 they mention it in passing at the funeral of the first clairvoyant. Yeah. Um, right. But his supposed talents never enter into it. Not at all. Right, exactly, exactly. So that that's fair. But he gives them this incredibly specific, you know, book and place to find said book. And the book, you know, says, essentially turns Marcus on to a, finding this author and finding more information about the story in the book. And only at this point in time does the murderer, apropos of nothing, decide to go kill the author. Right. The murderer doesn't know that he's going to the author. No. So it just happens to be that the, that of all this time, the one person who has published evidence to potentially find this killer is just killed like an hour before the guy shows up oh, yeah. searching for that very specific piece of evidence. It's right? an amazing coincidence. Yeah, because Marcus, <laughs> Marcus never speaks to uh, the, the killer about what's going on. I mean, he has conver- a, a conversation with her once in the film, but like, I guess one other phone call, but everybody like talks to her and he doesn't ever speak to like Carlo, who would be like the other right. person. He's never like, Oh, Hey Carlo, we've got this great lead. So either she is like following him around to see what he's up to, or yeah, it's just very coincidental, which it feels more coincidental than anything. And and that I thought was funny <laughs> uh, because it does always seem like the, the killer is just a little bit ahead, uh, but you know, it, it it's also very effective and I'm willing to, to give it some slack. She could also be clairvoyant. Everyone is clairvoyant <laughs> in this movie. Well, everyone Term- is born clairvoyant. Yeah. They and just all- lose it as they get older. Oh, all sorts okay. of animals show clairvoyancy out in nature, like zebras and termites. Yep. Yes, Nicole, I saw you said the time of the telepathic termites is approaching in our time. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't quite catch that the first time I watched this. You know, it opens on this conf, you know, quote unquote conference yeah, on the paranormal where there's like maybe 30 people in the audience and they're talking about clairvoyance and the talent that this woman has who's a special guest and talking about how Many animals are speak to each other telepathically, you know, termites, ants, zebras. I'm like, what? <laughs> right. Termites, termites and ants. Okay. They got like a, the hive mind thing right. going. I can see that know. there. But zebras. <laughs> what? I love that they never return to the clairvoyant. It's just assumed that 
<laughs> you know, David, you said her demonstration of psychic ability plays like a cheap magic show, and it really does. Oh, it's awful. She says, like, I can't see the future. I can only see things as they're currently happening, and like thoughts can linger, blah, 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 blah. But then she's like, right. man in the third row, you. <laughs> Not a plant. Right. Like, you're, you're playing with keys in your pocket. And he's like, oh, well, I am. Like, and just their whole interaction is like, you've never met her before, right? No, I just got here a couple hours ago. It's like, I, I've i read enough books about magic. I've seen enough movies about magic. So no, that guy's a plant. That guy oh, yeah. was Absolutely. here before. Hey, man, we've never spoken to before ever. <laughs> Had you met this lady? We but couldn't no. possibly have paid you ahead of time to say that no. you haven't. Or we know. Yeah. So is this woman killed just because, because she's essentially killed because the the murderer who happens to be in the audience that evening thinks that she's on to them. So she kind of... Well, she is. I get, yeah, she I mean, she... Yes, she has yeah. these flashes about the murder that happened, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And I forgot about that. as she's walking out with the psychiatrist, she's like, you know, I'm, I got it all. I'm going to write it all down, you know, and I know who the killer is. And I'm not so, going to tell you that, though, just in case. No, no I'm <laughs> right. not going to mention the name right now. I'm going to go home and write it down. Yeah. Because then she's talking to somebody and she's like, I have this article I've written that should get like published while I'm still here, which I think that was going to like expose the killer. And you got to love the shots, like the handheld shots from the killer's perspective of like, just like grouchily walking around in the gloves, which is really Argento doing it himself in the gloves. (laughs) I love those gloves though. Those are so cool. So good. But I love the first person perspective. It's such a cheesy shot, but it somehow works in this movie. I love that you're reading grouchily (laughs) this body language somehow. Yeah, they're just kind of like but it's also it's also 70s cameras yeah it's lumbering around because it's 70s cameras that they're moving around like they don't have you know like today where they have sophisticated handheld machines i mean if you're a merch if you're a murderer you're a little grouchy most likely (laughs) and i I love nobody is suspicious of when she's like i feel you murdering and she like takes that drink that she doesn't like drink in the water she's pouring out of her mouth (laughs) <laughs> and it's like i know the murderer's here and then like somebody gets up and like oh excuse me i gotta <laughs> i gotta go for no reason at all it's like yeah. nobody's gonna react to this situation and and all of this is scored by the band goblin which yeah. we've you know we, we've we've encountered before with suspiria because argento continued to work with them uh he you know found them mostly on accident because he couldn't get pink floyd to work with him <laughs> so instead got goblin makes sense i will say there is a reason that the Goblin soundtrack for Suspiria is so iconic, and I knew it before seeing Suspiria, and this one is not, because it is like the worst part of a King Crimson show. It's like Aww. seven drummers all going, while a bassist in the background just like flails on the bass. It's fun, but it's hard. Disagree. <laughs> what? It's so proggy. It's so intense. But no, you, you like it, Nicole. It is proggy and intense, but it fits. It fits the material. It kind of does. It's a. It. It kind of sits does. right in there, and it's better than hearing that children's song for the eighth oh, time. Oh God. It, yeah, I will say it works in most scenes, except I think the I, I didn't write this down, but I think it's the scene where he's like trying to break into the room that's been walled off. Yes. And like the um, drums are just like repeatedly getting faster. That, that that was a weird that like for some reason, the song there just really didn't fit it. But otherwise, I, I thought the music worked pretty well uh, for it.
No, it's very, very unique. It's so bizarre. But I, I think you're right. I think by and large, it does work pretty well. He originally wanted a jazz pianist to, to do this, which I don't think would have been nearly as effective. And and he, he commissioned one, and, and that person did it. And then later, what happened was they actually put his name in the credits saying that he wrote the music because they took a couple of his arrangements, when in reality... <laughs> Goblin ended up rewriting most of it themselves, and they ended up writing a bunch of new stuff. So they actually got a lot less credit than was due to them until they edited Aww. the movie later on in future releases. Um, but I would love to see a cut of this with jazz piano, because I, I I don't think it'd be as effective, but I think it'd be kind of cool. Sure. But instead, you know, instead they just have David Hemmings playing a jazz pianist. Right. I'm not sure 100% that he's supposed to be a jazz pianist, but that's the... That's what it said in the I mean, he calls him the bourgeoisie of pianists, so you got to imagine he's a jazz pianist. He de- yes, he does uh, it for art and because he enjoys it, whereas his yeah. friend Carlo does it to pay the bills. And and because he hates his father. Right. Yes. <laughs> according to according to what apparently his therapist would say. So, a question I had for you guys, and I noticed it a couple times in the movie, is the extras. The extras yes. in the movie are very still like so so you you get this first shot in the movie with this blue diner that is clearly nighthawks it's clearly the edward hopper you know painting nighthawks oh yeah and i looked Mm. it up and that was the intent and all the people i thought they were mannequins at first but they're not they're just really still and then later on when carlo and and mark are talking and walking along the street they keep passing different people and each of these people is almost like they're like stuck in a loop there's this one woman who keeps looking like she's about to cross the street and kind of waving her dress and then she does it again and again and again and everyone's stuck in this loop around them it's very weird I kind of wonder if Argento just told them to do that specifically because he liked the composition so much of where everyone was and he didn't mm. want to chance anybody wrecking the, you know, the balance of the shot or what have you. I could see that. There's, there's one guy, though, that I actually I had to replay because he was f- fantastic to me. And it's when Marcus is talking to the police like the detective and explaining the situation like some guy comes over and brings the guy like a, a you know a coffee because it's italy so he's like bringing him an espresso in a crime scene and there is an extra there like these two extras they don't talk like they don't make any sound but they very obviously like they look at each other and one of them like gestures very emphatically and the other one just goes like like Jen like shakes his head and like walks off and they're just like very animated that it distracted me from the conversation <laughs> between the detective and Marcus. And I like went back to like watch it again. And I, that guy I wished had come back and had just been in the background, just constantly being like frustrated and making big motions. Now see, I didn't even notice that because I was so enthralled with the idea. I thought they had booze in that thermos. Uh, oh, maybe uh, yeah. <laughs> he was coming around. It's like, would you would you like liqueur? But no, it makes sense that the cups are that tiny because it's espresso and it's not like a regular American giant coffee. Yeah, but that is. Yeah, I I honestly did not even really notice the extras except for the Nighthawks setup. It's so in your face, like and not <laughs> it really is. in a way in a way that it it doesn't take you like out of the film. Because this film is so bonkers, like from the beginning. Um, I mean, it, it begins with a murder, but then like begins with a curtain opening past that. So like the only, the only reason that it's kind of like jarring is because it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the movie in any way whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone like in there is dressed in a way that nobody else around is dressed. Like nobody else is wearing fedoras anywhere. It's very unusual. And, and, I have two ideas on this. Uh, first, an entirely anecdotal aside: uh, if you never, if you're ever in Chicago, go to the Art Institute for a number of reasons, but also because they have the original Nighthawks, and it's one of my favorite paintings. And I've never realized how big it is. If you've never mm-hmm. seen Nighthawks in person, it's like 25 feet long. It is really big. So, right. total aside, that's fascinating. Uh, regarding the movie. Nicole, you're probably right. It's probably, you know, he really liked the composition of a shot and he wanted people to be in certain spots. Another side of me, if I want to get into the freshman English analysis of this, (laughs) is does Argento want these characters to kind of just 
float in this separate insulated world of where you re- they only interact with a couple of people and it's just them and this murderer because the set designs and where it's all filmed is also really insulated. You know, this area in front of the bar, it's concrete and dark and there's these big pillars everywhere and you don't see anyone. You very, very rarely are they on the street with like actual people aside from that one shot with Carlo. It's a very isolating film in that regard. I wonder if he's playing with that at all. I think so. I think it adds to the mood that way. Plus, Again, it gives you control of the set if you just clear everybody out and focus on the two characters. But, I mean, it's cheaper that way. You've only got two actors on set. (laughs) You can set up those gorgeous shots like the one in front of the statue Mm -hmm. of, like, the large man reclining. And Carlo's at one end and Marcus is at the other end. Yeah. And, you know, it's just – it's a shot that would – Ordinarily, in an American movie, it would be shot, reverse shot. It would be medium shots alternating with close-ups. But Argento takes, he he and the cinematographer, Luigi Kuviler, I want to say, back the camera way up. So you get that statue in between them. And it's like this gulf of space between these two friends, which, of course, later on proves to be that they are much more separated from one another than Marcus thinks they are. Mm. It's this yeah. giant secret between them. Absolutely. I, and I suppose we can, we can rip off that bandaid that we eventually find out that the killer, they originally believe it to be Carlo, but in reality, Carlo is just trying to protect his mother and his mother is the killer. And we, before we get into the whole like, childhood trauma stuff as soon as we met that mom did you get i kind of figured she was bad right <laughs> like she was incredibly suspicious well she not well yeah really. yeah the only reason that i suspected her is because they showed somebody putting on like heavy eye makeup um mm, yeah because they do this thing a couple of times where they'll show like dolls or like pictures and stuff and then they showed like someone putting on like that that heavy eyeliner and then like they showed her and she had that heavy eyeliner so it's like mm-hmm. okay so she's she's involved in some way well they play with that though you know and oh yeah there's the other guy shot, it's the blue eye in one shot it's a brown eye in i think it's a green eye on the when you see the eye open in the closet at the author's house you know, when that yeah. person's way back in the shadows. Yeah. Which is a fantastic shot, by the way. I absolutely love that. You know, the author walks past this dark area in her home, and the center of the shot is just black. And then you just see one bright white of the eye pop open and look at where the author just went. And you're just like, hey, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like like Brett said earlier, there's some really great atmosphere. That's That's one of them. The other is when... The guy, I don't know what his purpose was in the investigation, but the guy that was like helping him out um, when he's like, his office gets quiet and he like knows somebody's there like coming for him. There's just a couple of really like effective atmospheric scenes um, before people get killed. Right. And and speaking of the eyes, I, I kind of wonder if that's like an Argento thing. Because I, I, I know just, you know, as a film nerd that like mur- people being murdered and thrown through windows is his thing. Like, and I saw that multiple times here, but I'm also kind of wondering if eyes are his thing because having seen Suspiria on this boy, does he love a creepy glowy eye in the dark Um, or like close up shots of eyes. But I want to give the, the stupidest character of the week award to that author (laughs) because she hears a door close in her home. She knows someone is there and she walks outside away from the home and then it's like, nah, that's good. Goes back inside, locks the door, then sees this creepy doll hanging from a noose in her living room to which she then walks around the house, goes back inside the house, locks the door again. So now the front and the back are both locked with her and this person in the house, looks at the doll and is like, yeah, you know what I should do? Continue investigating my home. She was so ambivalent what? to the hanging doll in her home. What? She had such, right? such a, a little reaction like, oh, oh, that's weird. Usually the doll's <laughs> hanging in the kitchen. Hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> Just, oh my 
God, oh, she she didn't deserve to die, but she had it coming after all that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I I want to talk about her death as well because you know she dies where she's you know pushed into. She's drowned in a bath of scalding bath water. It um, is horrifying. Oh, yeah, it's rough. And it's it's really horrifying. And then later on we see a character, you know, the psychiatrist where he gets his mouth gets like slammed onto the side of a piece of wooden furniture. Um, he gets like curb stomped essentially yeah. on the uh, the mantle and then this table. <sighs> mouth and, first. Yeah. yeah. And I was reading that, you know, Argento made this decision very consciously because he wanted the audience to have a perspective of what this pain might feel like. We've all scalded ourselves on accident with water. We've all stubbed our toe or hurt ourselves on a piece of furniture, like on the edge of a corner or something like that. Whereas someone who's been shot or stabbed, that doesn't really happen to everyday people as often as the other two. So he really wanted to make this relatable in terms of the pain level. And I must say that's very effective. That was way, I felt that in my bones way more than I felt someone being stabbed or shot. Yeah. 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 You know, watching the psychic get it where her head oh. gets like thrust through the window while horrifying was oh my gosh, not relatable in terms of sensation. Yeah, yeah, right. It's hard to picture what that feels like. Whereas, you know, we've all like knocked our mouth on something once or twice and uh, I, although I can't say that I've ever had a pet that impaled itself on a knitting needle that I was uh, holding, was that, I couldn't relate to that. But didn't she stab the pet? No, it, no, li- she was just uh, was holding this knitting needle. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the little girl. I'm thinking of the little girl who is just uh, driving needles through geckos, and yeah, we're just going to gloss over whatever's yeah. happening there. Like, I thought that was going to be something. Turns out this little girl's just, you know, a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and is just killing her geckos all around the house. She's, yeah, she's a little sociopath. Uh, yeah. It's very disturbing. And un- unfortunately, that was really I, uh, I knew it. Yeah. yeah. The way yeah. it was moving, I was like, oh, no, they actually did that to a lizard and filmed it. Yeah, unfortunately. That's, Ugh. you know, Italy did not have the ASPCA. <laughs> yeah. Uh, People being like, hey, don't do that. sure that no animals were harmed. So yeah. I'm not so sure about the bird either. I did not look into that. Well, the bird um, is fake. They're all fake. They were actually wires. Oh, all right. Moving Good. them around. You can see you can see the wires in one of the shots. It's one of the goofs in the movie. You can see these little black wires where the where the birds are hung up. Okay, good. So they did not <laughs> kill a bird with a that. yeah, that was that'd be kind of horrific. So moving on to some of our other discussion topics, let's talk about the effects. You know, some of them, well, maybe borderline cheesy, they're still effective. And uh both David and I in separate line items both mentioned the doll. And if I yeah. if I'm reading that correctly, you mean the robotic you know wind up doll that chases the uh, the psychiatrist yes. what is this what is this killer's problem like this is <laughs> this is some saw crap happening <laughs> and it's like it's like four and a half feet tall she it's, lugged yeah, this thing to his house to tur- is, to make it a distraction it was the scariest part of the movie for me uh because i don't it's horrifying i, I uh, you know, most dolls like Annabelle, whatever, Chucky, who cares? But for some reason, this thing, like this thing, like <laughs> came out of the closet at me. I would, I would have a heart attack. The killer wouldn't have to do anything. Like, good job done. <laughs> yeah, it's like Charlie McCarthy has gone murderous and is coming after you. It's exactly like one of those dummies in a suit, but it's porcelain. I guess but with clockwork inside because he right yeah the psychiatrist manages to smash the head and part of it falls away and you can see the spring in there i picture it being kind of wind up like she like she dragged us to the house trying to hide it underneath her trench coat and then when she got there she had like wind the back of it why we don't know Yeah, this is, this is like her thing. When she kills, she has to have at least one toy present, and she has to have the tape of that children's song, of the children going, la, 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 la. And it's just, ah, no, don't do it. Stop. Yeah. Also, random nugget that you totally get the whole movie spoiled for you if you have subtitles on. Because when when they're talking between uh, Carlo and Mark at the very beginning, 
and they're talking about you know one is the is the bourgeois pianist and the other one is the proletariat pianist uh carlo has this moment where he just starts pretending to play a piano and he goes la 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 and it's the exact amount of laws that fill the screen um as when they start playing the tape in the movie so i don't know if that was very much intentional or not but like he gives him the laws at the beginning yeah yeah i didn't notice that either they're in his head I don't know if that's intentional with the filmmaking or not. It has to be, right? Like, he's sitting there oh, saying yeah. la over and over. Yeah. But well, that's... Yeah. The, Argento loves to echo motifs in his right. movie. You know, like... You don't the, say. The, <laughs> the unfortunate bird being impaled on the knitting needle, the lizard being impaled on the pin, and then at the end, the psychiatrist gets pithed to his desk by this ornamental mm. letter opener. And it's just yeah. like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, the the varied career of Carlo Rambaldi. Who was that in the movie? Carlo Rambaldi was... Uh, the, the special effects in this movie were credited to two people, one of whom is Carlo Rambaldi. And he is a special effects artist with an amazing resume that includes a lizard in a woman's skin... Flesh for Frankenstein, uh, the 1976 King Kong, as Ooh. well as Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Alien, and E.T. Yeah, I just looked him up. He won an Academy Award for E.T. I'm looking him up wow. on Wikipedia, yeah. and his picture is him. And then <laughs> in, the in the background is 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 E.T. Like, yeah. like E.T.'s following him around. <laughs> yeah, he held, I believe he designed the look of E.T., or at least most of it. Uh, he had won three Oscars, it looks like. Or two Academy Awards. One for Alien and one for E.T. And uh, one Special Achievement Award for King Kong in 1976. Yeah, he's credited for the, the head effects on the alien. I'm not sure what that means exactly. If it's like the mouth pulling back and retracting or what. <laughs> or the, yeah, <laughs> the second mouth coming out. Yeah, I'm not Fast. sure. Oh, and Dune as well. The eighty-four. Oh uh, yes, the classic. The classic. Is the giant vagina baby in the train <laughs> car. <laughs> uh, oh man, that that's fascinating. All right, I mean, I mean, this is such an interesting time for filmmaking because you do have these Italian filmmakers making these amazing movies in the seventies on shoestring budgets at times and getting you know very degrees of fairly strong Western talent you know flying in and doing these movies. We talked about that to great degree in things like, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly in the 60s, and then later this. Obviously, this is Giallo. This is very separate of that. But point being is that, you know, the Italian film scene, it seems like in the 60s and 70s in particular, was really getting all the interesting people to come out and make movies with them. Yeah, I mean, David Hemmings was not a a huge star in England, but I mean, he'd been in Barbarella. He was very well-liked and sort of an unlikely leading man um, being rather short and <laughs> you know his eyes are a little a little bit protruding um he's a bit unusual looking yeah i called but, him uh, paul mccartney in our slack you're so <laughs> right so he looks like he looks like paul in the 70s he really does yeah yeah but he's just so charming in this movie it's like he was to me he was instantly likable even when he gets in the very stereotypical macho argument with the female reporter i'm just i'm I'm googling him right now and i i need to see this movie he directed in 1981 david hemmings directed a movie called just a gigolo starring david <laughs> bowie and it is a prussian veteran played by david bowie spurns his decadent sweetheart and joins a gigolo ring in post-world war one berlin i need to see this I need to see I, this. This sounds wacky. Sounds interesting. Uh, I'm just completely arrested by the term post World War One gigolo ring, <laughs> featuring David Bowie. <laughs> Tale as old as time. Oh my gosh! Um, the film was panned by critics and audiences. This led Bowie to quip that it was my 32 Elvis Presley movies rolled into one. <laughs> <laughs> and then he did Absolute Beginners. So. Oh, bless you, Bowie. Okay. Uh, well, the leaps of logic in this movie are wild. And the logic of the movie is pretty wacky at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I was watching this more closely 
this second time because I hadn't really followed how they got from trying to find the murderer by the clues in the psychic's apartment to this haunted house where there's a singing child. Yeah. And I'm just like, where did, where does that jump come from? Because the clues he's been following doesn't get there. You know, it, it dead ends at gosh, even before he gets to the author and it's this discussion that he has with the psychic, not the psychic with the psychiatrist and the paranormal investigator that, spurs the paranormal guy to say oh i remember this little book right that i read about you know because he's talking about the song the children's song that he heard playing when the killer started to come for him and then had to wave off so we all the lead he's got is the song and the it's like i remember that song it's a story of a haunted house where supposedly something horrible may have occurred and they could hear children singing outside of the house and so he goes and researches that and it's like, how does just because there's a child singing in a haunted house, how do we know that's linked to the children's song? Like not, it's not all one children's song. There are many children's songs in the world. It's, right. <laughs> it's yeah. not all the same. Song. It, it's a movie where like I, I, walked into my kitchen for a second and then came back and was completely lost. Right. Um, it's very easy to lose your place <laughs> in, in what's going on in this movie. And, and also like when you find out, Oh, the, the mother killed her husband. I was like, did she, was there no consequences to that action? She never like went to jail. Nobody followed up on this guy, apparently disappearing entirely. Uh, you just kind of got to roll with it. Yeah, well, she walled up that whole room of the house. Oh, that's right. She locked the dad in there. His yeah. body was there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that that must have smelled bad for like 10, 15 years. You know, the Chris, the dead Christmas tree is in that room. Has anybody seen your husband? Nope. <laughs> All right. What happened us. to All your right. living room? <laughs> like, oh, it's gone now. We never had one. What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, she just gaslights it, people yeah, over the, her Yeah, the room. scene we see in the um, flashback at the very beginning of the movie of the murder, it's... You know, the the room looks nothing like the room in the gorgeous house in the second half of the movie no. where the body is found. But no. somehow it's supposed to be the same. Right. Well, it's expensive to, <laughs> they, they, you know, <laughs> one they could build on a set and the other was in somebody's house. They couldn't bother. So I suspect some of this disconnect is coming from the fact that, so Argento wrote this script and he wrote it in only a couple days and he was incredibly excited about it. And he brought it to his father, Salvatore Argento, who was a film producer. And he was like, Hey dude, this is like a novel too big. It was over 500 pages. So Argento went back, cut it down to 300. There are 200 pages of his idea that are not in this movie. So there's something that leads me to believe that, some of the connections might have been lost in order for, you know, to make this an hour and 40 minutes. And and I think mm. if this was 500 pages, his dad was probably right to lead him in a different direction. Oh, yeah. Right. That's a long script. Right. This is actually so. one of the few real thing where something feels missing here. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing is just that yeah. the killer is somehow ahead of Marcus, even though Marcus isn't telling anybody where he's going except the <laughs> right. reporter. Yeah. So, right, like the author. Um, yeah. But other than that, it's really tight. You know, this movie moves right along and one thing leads sort of inevitably to the next. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely does. And, <laughs> and I want to talk about that reporter, Gianna. So we're introduced to her. You know, there's a scene with Marcus just flinging around some dated sexism about how weak she is. And then she challenges him to uh, an yeah. arm wrestling fight. And I will call it an arm wrestling <laughs> fight because that's not what they call it. And apparently the two of them rehearsed that scene over a hundred times and just sent Argento up an absolute wall. Just got him so mad because this is a dude that's very Eastwood like in his film stylings, or I guess Eastwood is very Argento like in the sense that like he wants one and done. He wants to film the scene, move on, but they just kept rehearsing that particular scene it's great though i like the scene but i want to talk about gianna because 
I was really kind of bummed that she just gets sidelined. He's like, nah, you're weak. I'll call you when I need you. And then she just like doesn't do anything until the very end of the movie. And I was kind of expecting this dynamic crime solving duo of, you know, Marcus and Gianna to solve this mystery and for her to use her, you know, journalism smarts and him to use his, you know, musical intuition or something. I don't know. And we didn't get any of that. <laughs> Instead, he just like says peace and she like is super nice to him. And then we don't see her. And that's not yet. even her introduction. Her introduction is her busting onto a, a crime scene, taking pictures of people. Right. And her car. She's an interesting character and she's really well performed. The, this woman was actually, and her actor is the actor's name is uh Daria Nicolodi. Right. Who, who ended up marrying Argento. Um, she's the mom to, you know, is it, is it Asia Argento? The one that's Asia. Asia, Asia. Asia. I don't know how it's pronounced. Okay. Asia Argento, you know, who is now obviously a director as well, but I thought she was so good and they just kind of sideline her and that kind of bummed me out. Well, I mean, I, number one, I love that she comes busting in with like this little tiny camera that like my sister had back in the (laughs) seventies. It's like, I recognize that little compact camera that took 110 film, which was this very weird size. It looked almost like a little dumbbell when you snapped it into the camera, the film roll. Uh, and then it had the photo cube on yep. top, the flash cube. But she, uh, yeah, I I liked her and I didn't and I liked her and I didn't and she kind of <laughs> she grew on me. She grew on me toward the end of the movie. It's sort of a contentious relationship that they have. But in the end, she saves his butt. You know, she first she finds the author for him. Right. And then she literally pulls him out of the fire before he gets burned to death. Oh, that fire on that house. Oh, I know, the oh, fake I fire. Know. Oh, the the fake. effects are, are yeah. little. And, I, well, <laughs> in that point, I think you're supposed to suspect her because I did yeah, uh, for because a moment. She's, she's when, so calm as if she yeah. had started the fire. Well, and she has that thick black eyeliner that mm. we see being applied earlier in the movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I, I kind of would have liked to have seen a little more of her. I'm glad she doesn't die. She she's the only person that, yes. aside from Marcus, that survives an attack from the the murderer. Uh, there's some house porn. The house the house that was burning. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and and Nicole, you just put in our docket. Don't mind me. I'm just breaking through the second floor wall from the outside with a rock hammer, as one does. Yep. Uh, yeah. I also like how he is willing. He's willing to go to like be a fake home buyer to get keys to the place when also he's totally fine with just breaking into schools and homes at night. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, oh, the house. The house is called Villa Scott. It's in Turin. It's currently under private ownership and apparently has been restored. It's this beautiful, beautiful, if you haven't seen the movie, it's this beautiful Art Nouveau mansion. And uh, actually, at the time, it was a Catholic school because there were nuns and students living there. Oh, so they actually like paid to give them all a, a vacation to be out of the building for long enough for them to film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wild. Oh, it's a gorgeous. I'm looking at it on TripAdvisor right now. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is. It is just it's it's easier to see it right here. And it yeah, is truly I stunning. It. I want it. So many beautiful like flourishes on the inside and the outside and on the windows and around the windows on the outside. And thank goodness, because he almost falls off the house. And if it weren't for all those ornate decorations on the outside, he wouldn't have had anything to hold on to. (laughs) Oh, that is very cool. Yeah, I... I absolutely adore that. Uh, yeah. I tried to find a price and I couldn't. I was so mad. I know. Like, How much do I need to save up to go get that? <laughs> it, it is rated a four out of five on TripAdvisor. So it's it's yeah. a hell of a visit, uh, even <laughs> though you can't get inside, apparently. <laughs> very, very cool. Well, I mean, Deep Red, as we wind down here, I David, you go first. You're the person. You're the other person who hadn't seen this before. What do you, What did you think of it? Oh, I, this movie was a blast. Um, it was it was so much fun to watch. There's goofy parts that are unintentionally goofy. There's, as we said, there's like leaps of logic and parts missing that like if you aren't paying attention, and sometimes when you are paying attention, you'll still be like, wait, what's happening? Um, but it is a visual treat. And I think overall, the acting is is like pretty good. It's 
it's well put together. It's, just, it's a movie that is very entertaining to watch. This is not going to be, you know, the, the movie that's going to change your life, but it's going to be a movie I don't think a lot of people will regret watching. There is some gore. Yes. So if that, if that gets you, I mean, it's very fake, bright red movie blood. Head um, gets cut off. We, and, we didn't really talk about that. Head, yes, the head does get cut And a head does look, it's crushed, but you don't really see that. So there are, are moments that'll make you go, oh, yeah. or ugh. But I mean, overall, I mean, I just, I had so much fun with this movie. That's, that's really all I can, uh, can say. Yeah. She, so yeah. her, that the killer's necklace gets caught on the inside grate of an elevator and Marcus hits the button to send the elevator down. And it's, and my thought was like, it's going to strangle her and, and it does. But <laughs> and, wouldn't you think yeah. that an, a chain necklace would break under that pressure before it would behead you? Oh, a hundred percent. Very strong chain, Brett. But no, oh, yes. it beheads her, and it shows you it. It shows you it. So may, maybe well, not the best film for kids. It shows it cutting into a, a rather fake-looking neck with a lot of fake-looking blood. Yeah. But you don't actually see like the head coming off the body. No, you but don't. I still went. I still went. Ooh, like yeah. when when that was happening. No, it's still very effective. Right. Even the gore that you don't see makes you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I suppose. We really didn't talk. There's actually one discussion topic we missed. I'm checking right here, and it was the poor Carlo one. Poor Carlo. Yeah, I mean, not only does he get wrapped into that, but also run over by a truck. Yeah. Well, dragged first. Dragged, dragged and by then a truck. Over. Dragged. Had his head whacked into the curb a couple of times while yeah, he he's had being it, dragged. He had it rough. And then the car in the other lane runs over his head. <laughs> Squish. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, put yeah. I mean, Carlo is this poor, sad character, just full of self-loathing. And so he drinks a lot and he's ashamed of his lover who is, I thought, I thought this was a fascinating bit. Very, very progressive for the time. Um, But, you know, Italy in the seventies, you know, his partner is this gender non-conforming person, Ricci, who... Mm -hmm presents kind of ambiguously uh, has some facial stubble, but also dresses in a, a rather fom forward manner and has some makeup on. And yeah, you know, it's just very straightforward and says, I really love that guy, but gosh, he's just, he's so ill. He's so <sighs> sad. You know, he's such a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not um, wrong. You know, and uh, Carlo hates himself because he's a drunk and he hates himself because he's gay and he hates himself because his mother is a murderer and he's been covering for her (laughs) for decades. His mother stabbed his father to death in front of him on Christmas. (laughs) They got to ruin that holiday. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to hear any Christmas music ever for the rest of your life when that sort of thing happens. No, no, no. (laughs) Uh. Also, like I love the I love the kid playing young Carlo, just like dressed up in like what are those shoes called? I just want to know what they're called. They're patent leather. If they were on a girl, I would call them Mary Janes. Uh, that style of patent leather shoe. He's dressed kind of like in an outfit that you would see at like Chris Kindle Market in Chicago in like the winter, which is like the classic German Christmas market. Mm-hmm. You know, wearing like suspenders. Maybe maybe he's not even wearing suspenders. Maybe I'm just making this up in my mind now. No, but, no, I understand what you mean, though. Yeah, sort of the the European version of like the little sailor suit with the hat. And exactly. The yeah, he's it. he's missing the hat, but exactly. Uh, so, but yeah, overall, I, I would echo David. Absolutely, this was a lot of fun. I like it even more than Suspiria. Uh, it really kind of whet my appetite to to dive deeper into more Giallo because every time we do, I, I really enjoy it, and I know there's there's so much out there, and uh, I hope that we can bring more of it to the show, and I hope people like it. Please let us know if you do. If you do have a favorite Giallo film, do you like this more or less than Suspiria? Do you have a preference? Are there any Ar- Argento films you particularly like? Let us know. Hi, H-I at MGRpodcast.com. But Nicole, any closing thoughts on your pick for Deep Red? No, I'm I'm glad that you two seem to be in agreement with me that this was, you know, bizarrely delightful for a movie that has so much stabbing in it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And other forms of murder. You know, it is, uh, it's weirdly fun. It's weirdly fun. This is something that I'm discovering I really like about Jello is that 
there aren't really a lot of rules. No, no. It. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it. It's kind of all over the place and it has a great time doing it. And the inexpensive nature of the productions most of the time, I think add to it rather than take away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I mean, that's, that's one of the, the massive charms of Suspiria is that it seems to do a lot with a little, you know, the scariest things about Suspiria are the, is the lighting and these really dramatic reds and greens and, and the way they kind of enclose you with that and make you feel claustrophobic in that Academy. It's, I love it. I, I think it's great. So wonderful guys. Well, this was for deep red around the world. Uh, Nicole, where can people find you online? You can find me at Nicole underscore Davis on Letterboxd. Very good. And what about you, David? Davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter and Instagram. Find me there. Very cool. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. A quick reminder, head on over to social.mgrpodcast.com. It's where you can find all the links to everything we're talking about. And lastly, I do want to encourage folks, please if you're not emailing in the show, hi at mgrpodcast.com, at least head on over to iTunes or Podchaser. We want to hear from you. We want to get feedback on what sections you like. Do you have a favorite theme that we're doing? Like, do you love the Around the World episodes? Do you skip them entirely when it comes in your feed? I want to know that sort of stuff. Please let us know in the reviews uh, at, you know, Moving Around Podcast, Podchaser, and on Apple podcasts but that will do it for myself david and nicole we will be back next week on you did this to us (music) 